You ever had a reality check? I think reality checks are helpful. I, I occasionally have them, and I actually use funerals as a reality check in my life. End of year can also be a reality check for you. I encourage you to use the end of each year and think of, of the year and what's going to be happening in the next year. But here's how it works for me. While attending funerals, you know how it goes, I, at least for me, I often listen to people talk in the past tense about the person's life. And listening to people often uh, causes me to ask myself, well, this question, something like this question here. You know, what would people say about me if, if you know, when, when it comes time for me to die and go to heaven, uh, you know, if, if I'm there, what are people going to say about me in my life? And I ask that question because I want my life to make a difference for the cause of Christ. I hope you do too. So we're coming to the end here now of 2018. It's a good time for us to evaluate our lives. Maybe you're not even sure that you want your life to make a difference. Maybe that, maybe that's a scary thing, or maybe you have fear or worry or, or uh, something going on there that might be hindering you. Maybe you just want people to like you. For, for, for many people, if you could just have a good job and have a good spouse and a couple good kids and have a nice car and some long weekends and a few good friends and a fun retirement and a quick and easy death and no hell. You know, if you could have all that, a lot of people would be satisfied with that. But listen closely, listen closely. That's a tragedy in the making. That is a tragedy. Okay? That is not the good life I just described, okay? In fact, many would call that a wasted life. Let me tell you some true stories to, to illustrate this for a moment. Back in April of 2000, there was two ladies by the name of Ruby Eliasson and Laura Edwards. They were in Cameroon, West Africa, and died there. Ruby was over 80 years old. She was single all her life. She had poured her entire life into one great cause, and that was to make Jesus Christ known to the unreached, to the poor, and to the outcast, and to the sick of that part of the world. Laura Edwards was a widow. She was also a medical doctor. She was also pushing 80 years old. And uh, she was there serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. But one day as they were driving, the brakes on their vehicle failed, and the car went over a cliff, and they both instantly died. Some people would look at their lives and say, whoa, was, that was a tragedy. Let me ask you, was that a tragedy? So you have two lives, uh, both driven by one great passion, they spent their lives in unheralded, unheralded service for Jesus Christ, reaching out to the poor and the needy. They kept going long after other missionaries had retired and threw away their lives on trifle things. My friends, 
Some would consider that a tragedy, but that's not a tragedy. Those were not wasted lives. I'll tell you what a tragedy is. I'll tell you what a tragedy is. In the 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, you can read a lot of tragedies in Reader's Digest. Let me just tell you one. It talks in the Reader's Digest, it talks about a couple who took an early retirement from their jobs. They lived in the USA. He retired when he was only 59 years old and she was 51. They lived in the state of Florida. They cruised on their 30-foot boats. They played softball and collected seashells. Some might read that and say, that's a joke. No, it's not a joke. True story. It's a real story. And those people, some would say, are living the uh, so-called American dream. But tragically, it was not a dream. See, you can come to the end of your life your one and only precious God-given life, by the way, and let the last great work of your life before you, you, you die and you give account to the creator of the universe, and how would you like your account to say, well, I played softball and collected seashells? Just picture this for a moment, my friends. We need, we need a reality check here, right? Picture them standing before the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ. They're there at that great day of judgment. Can you imagine them standing before Jesus and say, Look, Lord, my collection of seashells. And he'll say, I'm not impressed. I've made all those. (laughs) Right? I'm not impressed with that. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. Too many people are wasting their lives, wasting their retirements, by the way, when, when God gives you more freedom, more time, more money, usually in your retirement, use it. Use your life. Don't waste it. People are spending billions of dollars, by the way, to persuade you about tragic dreams. Don't fall for those tragic dreams. Don't buy into it. Don't waste your life. There was someone who didn't waste his life, although some would say it was a tragedy. If you've ever read the book uh, End of the Spear, they ended up making a movie out of the book End of the Spear. If you can handle a little violence, I do recommend the movie and the book. But it talks about the five missionaries who went to South America, reaching out to an unreached people group and ended up dying in the process. One of those men, Jim Elliott, he he said this, love this quote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep or gain, or to, to keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's just reworded what Jesus taught. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I think it's fairly safe to say that everybody in this room, for all of our lives, we've been on a treasure hunt. Ever been on a treasure hunt? I mean, a a real one, right? You've been searching for a perfect person in a perfect place. Maybe you don't even realize that. (laughs) But, But you are. You are 
searching for the perfect person and the perfect place. Well, I'm here to tell you that I have found the perfect person and the perfect place. And no, I'm not talking about New Zealand, by the way. (laughs) And I'm not talking about my wife, either. Jesus Christ is the perfect person, and heaven is the perfect place. No, I, I haven't seen Jesus in person, by the way, and no, I haven't died and gone to heaven and come back and haven't written a book and made money off that either. But if you are a Christian, guess what? You already know the person, Jesus Christ, and you're already headed to the place, heaven. Hopefully, you can see it, as Hebrews 11 says, by faith, you can see this place. You you know this person by faith. But there's a problem, isn't there? None of us are yet living physically with the person, and you're not yet living in that place. Sometimes, life goes on, and life can be a drudgery, You just dutifully go through your life longing for some kind of a joy that uh, somehow just seems out of your reach. You just can't seem to find it. It's kind of like the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and you just keep chasing it around. The treasure eludes you. Well, as we come to the end of this year, I think it's certainly appropriate we think of Jesus' teaching. Let's go to the master teacher. Let's find out what he had to say. Because Jesus tells a story kind of like this, and it's about a a hidden treasure that once discovered actually brings life-changing joy. Life-changing joy. Now before we get started on on the little journey here for a moment, uh, let me tell you something. Some, Some messages and preachers try to motivate through guilt. Guilt can be a motivator, but I'm I'm hoping that uh, this is a greater motivator because this message, as you can see on the screen here, is about the joy of giving. This message is about the joy of giving. Hopefully, joy, happiness, can be, love can be a greater motivator. See, the principle that Jesus talks about here is is kind of like it's something buried. And it's time to unearth it. It's a simple yet profound idea that has radical implications for our lives. And it's important for us to grasp it and put that into practice. And when you do, well, it's like seeing through new eyes, and you'll never see things the same way ever again. Nothing will look the same to you, and you're not going to want it to look the same. So let me, uh, before we see what Jesus says in Matthew 13, I like, I like the way Randy Elkhorn kind of elaborates on Jesus' teaching in Matthew 13. You can turn in your Bibles to Matthew 13, but, but listen to, um, listen to the story through someone's version here. It's not a Bible version, but just a person's version. Picture a, a, a first century Hebrew walking alone. He's out in the hot afternoon sun. He has a staff in his hand. Picture the, the guy with his shoulders stooped, sandals covered with dirt, dirt. His tunic is stained with sweat. But he doesn't stop the rest because he's pressing 
pressing on because he has business to do in the city or in the town. So he veers off the road into a field. He, he, he's taking a shortcut. The owner doesn't mind because travelers were often permitted this courtesy during those days. And the field is a little uneven, and so to keep his balance, he thrust his staff into the dirt. Thunk! The staff strikes something hard in the dirt. So he stops. He wipes his brow. He pokes in the dirt again with his staff. Thunk! Something is in the dirt. That's not dirt, and it's not a rock. So the weary traveler tells himself he can't afford to linger here for very long, but his curiosity won't let him go on. So he he jabs at the ground. Something there reflects a sliver of the sunlight. And so he drops to his knees and he starts digging in the dirt. Five minutes later, he uncovers what's there, What is there in the dirt, hidden in the dirt, is a case fringed in gold. By the looks of it, it's it's been there for a couple decades. And so his heart starts pounding, and he, he pries off the rusty lock, and he opens the lid. Gold coins, jewelry, precious stones of every color, a treasure more valuable than anything he's ever imagined. His hands are shaking. The traveler inspects the coins issued in Rome over 70 years ago. Some wealthy man must have buried the case and died suddenly, and the secret of the treasure's location died with him. There's no homestead nearby. Surely the current landowner has no clue that the treasure is actually here. So the traveler closes the lid, buries the chest, and marks the spot. He turns around, heading home, only now he's not stooped over and slowly plodding along. He's actually skipping like he's a a young boy again, and he's smiling. And as he's heading home, he thinks to himself, what a find, this is unbelievable. I've got to have that treasure. But I can't just take it, that would be stealing. Whoever owns the field owns what is in the field. But how can I afford to buy it? I know, I'll sell my farm and my crops and all my tools. I'll sell my prize oxen. Yeah, I, I will sell everything that hopefully that will be enough. From the moment of his discovery, the traveler's life changes. The treasure captures his imagination. It becomes the stuff of all of his dreams, and it is his reference point, if you will. It is his, his new center of gravity, and he experiences a radical paradigm shift. Well, that's a rather descri- long description of one single verse in your Bible. <laughs> the great master teacher, Jesus Christ, can say all that in one verse. Look at... Matthew 13, verse 44. Matthew 13, verse 44, which is known as the parable of the hidden treasure. Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has 
and buys that field. Just one little verse. Jesus has a point he's making here. By the way, the parable certainly envisions the joy of finding great and eternal treasure that that far surpasses the cost of anything it took to get it, to obtain it. By the way, are you aware that Jesus talks more about wealth and possessions and money than anything else? In fact, somebody took the time to figure this out, 15% of everything Jesus Christ said relates to the topic of money and your possessions. In fact, Jesus talked more about your money and possessions than he did about heaven and hell combined. That's how important this is to King Jesus. It should be important to us. So why did Jesus put such an emphasis on our money and possessions? You ever thought about that? Why? Why did he talk so much and teach so much about this topic? Well, hopefully you understand there's a connection, a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think and how we handle our money and possessions. In other words, you you can try to divorce your faith from your finances, but that doesn't work. See, Jesus looks at you and he sees your faith and your finances as two inseparable things. Like a hand in a glove, if you will. If you look at this verse here, Matthew 13, do any of you feel sorry for this particular traveler? You say, oh man, the poor guy. (laughs) I mean, after all, his discovery cost him everything, right? See, the point here is not to pity the man. You're not supposed to pity the man. In fact, you're supposed to envy this man. See, his sacrifice actually pales in comparison to the reward. Consider the cost-to-benefit ratio here. Did he gain or lose in the end? Well, of course, the benefits far outweighed the cost. The traveler, yes, he had to make some short-term sacrifices, but it was a long-term reward. Yes, he had to go and sell everything. But did he lose in the end? No. He gained in the end. Another thing to point out here in this one little verse, verse 44, notice the phrase, for joy. Don't miss that. Don't miss for joy. See, if you miss those two words, then you're missing the point Jesus is trying to make. See, the man is not exchanging some lesser treasure for greater treasures out of just some duty or drudgery no it's it, he he actually has a joyful exhilaration he's happy he's excited he's passionate he would have been a fool to not do this only a fool wouldn't have sold everything to get the greater gain and so Christ's story about treasure in the field is an object lesson concerning heavenly treasure. Did you see that? Because he starts off and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. So this is an object lesson 
concerning our heavenly treasure. So Jesus is appealing to what we do value, by the way, which is temporary and earthly treasure, in order to make an analogy here about what we should value, which should be the things of of eternal heavenly treasure. And Jesus made, remember, 15% of what he talked about had to do with our money and possessions. He made a similar point over in chapter 6. Look at Matthew 6. Here in Matthew 6, some have called this the treasure principle. So look what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Simple point. But consider what Jesus is saying. First of all, there's a negative and there's a positive. Notice the negative, first of all. Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures where? Notice where it's on earth. Why does Jesus command us not to store up treasure on earth? Well, some some look at this and say, well, that's because Jesus thinks earthly treasures are bad. No, that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is saying, this is a bad idea because they won't last. They won't last. If you store up treasures on earth, they won't last. Because look at the, the things he mentions there that, that attack and steal and destroy your earthly treasure. Thieves, moths, rust. You could add to that list. And so when Jesus warns us not to store up treasures on earth, it's, it's not just because wealth might be lost. Jesus is saying your wealth will be lost. It's a for sure thing. It will be lost. Either it leaves us while we're living, or it will leave you after you die. There are no exceptions to this rule. The book of wisdom has a, I think, a funny way of putting this. Look what Proverbs 23, verse 4 says. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Do you understand Proverbs' point there? Just just picture that for a moment. Meditate upon the imagery. Picture whatever your next prize possession is. Whatever that is. I don't know. You, you think about something. Put something in your brain. Okay, this is the next prize possession I'm going to buy, right? You think about that, and then do what Proverbs 23 says. Picture your next prize possession growing wings and flying away. Are you with me? And then you just stand there and watch your prize possession you just spent a lot of money on flying away and never coming back. (laughs) That's what Proverbs is saying in regards to our prized possessions. See, it's sooner or later it's going to disappear. 
sooner or later is going to disappear. Let me try to illustrate what Jesus is teaching through, through um, an illustration, okay? I, you probably know I like history, so bear with me, those of you who don't like history. Are you familiar at all with the American Civil War? I like this illustration because during the, Civil, the American Civil War during the 1800s, there was, uh, the United States was divided between the North and the South. Imagine if you're alive at the end of that Civil War, just before the end of the Civil War. Imagine 1864. Let's say you're living down in the South, and I picked the South because the South lost the Civil War, but you're actually a Northerner. And so let's say you plan to move back home, back into the North, as soon as the war is over. But while you're in the South, you, you have accumulated a lot of the, the South money, what they called the Confederate currency. Now, suppose you know for a fact that the North is going to win the war, and the, the end of the war is very close. Here's a question for you to, to consider. What are you going to do with your Confederate money? What are you going to do with that Southern money? The war is going to come to an end real soon. How valuable is that money going to be when the war is over? <laughs> well, if you're smart, then you know there's only one answer to that question. Of course, you, you want to immediately cash in your Confederate currency for U.S. currency because it's the only money that's actually going to have value once the war is over. You, only a fool would keep Confederate southern currency you only want to have enough to meet your short-term needs, right? Here's the point of the illustration. As a Christian, you actually have insider knowledge. <laughs> you have insider knowledge. So the Bible tells us that eventually there's going to be this worldwide upheaval caused by Jesus Christ's return. Jesus said He's coming back. He always keeps His promises. He, we know He's coming. The Bible says so. And so, is that not the, the greatest insider trading tip you could ever receive? See, we, we know Earth's currency is going to become worthless when Jesus Christ returns, or when you die, whichever one comes first. And either event could happen at any moment in time. You have no assurance of living through today, you could die today. Jesus Christ could come back today. And so Jesus functions here as a market timer, if you will. And He's instructing us here in Matthew chapter 6, transfer your funds from earth to heaven. Transfer before the end comes. And they're worth nothing. And so this is totally dependable, because... It's actually insured by God Himself. We know Jesus is coming. Soon, uh, the, the earth's economy is going to be replaced. Christ's financial forecast for earth is a bleak one. It's not good, of course. But we know what heaven is like, don't we? Read the end of your Bible. It's something that's totally secure. Never crash. 
You say, what's the point? According to Jesus, storing up earthly treasures is not just something that's wrong. Jesus is saying it's foolish. He's saying it's foolish. Jesus is telling us to get a treasure mentality. And Jesus doesn't just tell us where not to put our treasures. That's a negative. Jesus also tells us where to put our treasures. And so he gives us the best investment advice you're ever going to hear in verse 20. This is the best. Because he says, store up treasure for yourselves in heaven. Now, if you stopped reading at verse 19, you kind of missed the point. Well, you would miss the point, right? If you stop reading at verse 19, maybe you'd think that, that Jesus is against storing up treasures for yourself. But is Jesus against treasure? No, he's not against treasure. In fact, what does Jesus do here? He actually commands you to store up treasure. He commands you, believe it or not, to store up treasure. It's interesting, the Greek word for lay. When he says lay up treasure, that Greek word for lay in your Bible is a present imperative active verb. In other words, it's, it's to be an ongoing, continuous thing. Keep laying them up. Some, it's a command, and it is active, something that you're supposed to do. Something you must continually do yourself. Somebody can't do this for you. You must do this. He wants us to store up treasures, but he wants us to store them in the right place. See, Jesus isn't against treasure. He's just against foolish storing up. Okay, And so notice Jesus says, lay up for yourselves. Now, doesn't it seem strange that Jesus commands us to do what is actually in our best interest? You find that a little interesting? Yeah, it's in your best interest to do what he says. Now, wouldn't that be selfish if we actually do what's in our own best interest? Is that selfish? No. See, look at it this way, my friends. What, what is selfishness? Selfishness is when you're pursuing gain at the expense of others. And you're stepping on people and squashing and ripping off people, and you're hurting people in the process, then, then you're being selfish. But God does not have a limited number of treasures to distribute to you. <laughs> Unlimited. In fact, it is by serving God and others that you're actually storing up heavenly treasures. So, what happens? Everyone gains, no one loses. Everybody gains, no one loses. Now, what is this treasure, you might ask? What is the treasure in heaven that you're commanded to be laying up? Well, this includes things like power, possessions, and pleasures. See, in heaven you will have authority, power. You will have many possessions. You will have much pleasure, more than you can imagine. So Jesus promises that those who actually sacrifice on earth, Jesus said this, he said, you will receive a hundred times as much in heaven. A hundred times as much. You know what that means? That is a 10,000% return. 
That's what Jesus is saying. You will have a 10,000% return. Try to beat that at the stock market. You have no chance. And by the way, our ultimate treasure, what is it really? Your ultimate treasure. Think about that. It should be a person. It should be Jesus Christ. Heaven should be your second treasure. And all those rewards that Christ is going to give you when you get to heaven, well, that can be your third treasure. So let me ask you, my friends, what person are you living for? Who or what is your greatest treasure? And what place are you living for? What possessions are you living for? Jesus says in verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why did he say that? He didn't just say it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, that's true, it's right, but Jesus is saying it because it's also the wise thing to do. It's the smart thing to do because treasures in heaven will last. So the bottom line is really a logical one here if you think about it. Invest what has lasting value. Invest in what has lasting value. See, I doubt anybody will... Well, you might. Like I said, I did a Google search on this one time. There's at least one picture out there of a hearse pulling a trailer. They exist on Google Images. I've seen them. But most of the time when we see hearses going to the cemetery, they're not pulling trailers, right? Why? Because people can't take their stuff with them. <laughs> you can't take your stuff with you. And here's what Proverbs, or sorry, Psalm 49, verse 16 says. Look at this. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, what happens? He will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. <laughs> Reminds me of the story. Uh, John Rockefeller was one of the richest men who has ever lived. Uh, he, was, he lived in the United States, John Rockefeller, that is. And after he died, somebody actually talked to his accountant and asked his accountant, well, how much money did John leave? And the accountant gave the classic reply. He said he left all of it. See, folks, you know, he may have been wanting, he probably, what did he want to know? Well, how much money was in the bank account or whatever, right? See, you can't take it with you. John Rockefeller left it all behind. And if that point is clear in your mind, then, my friends, you're ready to hear the secret of Jesus' teaching here which some have called the treasure principle. Notice what Jesus does in here. What is he doing? He takes a, a profound truth, verse 19, you can't take it with you, and then he adds a, a, a qualification to you can't take it with you. And so by telling us here to store up treasures for ourselves in heaven, he, he actually gives us a beautiful consequence which some have called the treasure principle. Let me give it to you from the words of Randy Alcorn. Here's, here's how he's worded it. I love the way he put it. He says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. 
So verse 19, Jesus is saying, you can't take it with you. But Jesus says in verse 20, you can send it on ahead. Do you understand that treasure principle? Isn't that beautiful? That, that is awesome. <laughs> and it's rather simple. And uh, frankly, if it doesn't take our breath away, then maybe we don't understand what Jesus is teaching here. Anything we try to hang onto here, Jesus is saying, is going to be lost. Anything we try to hang onto here. But anything we put into God's hands will be ours for eternity. I'll put an illustration, very simple illustration on the screen here for you. Which one would you choose? I'll give you two options. Two options to consider. Suppose I offered you... And, and, this this is only an illustration, you understand. But suppose I was to offer you $1,000 right now, and you can go spend it however you want, no strings attached. Would any of you take option one? Okay, you ready for option two? So remember, option one is you get $1,000 today, you can spend it however you want with no strings attached. That's a pretty good deal. But, suppose I give you another choice. Let's say option two is, here it is, you can have $10 million one year from now, and then every year after that you get $10 million every year for the rest of your life. Which option would you take? Which one sounds better to you? I know, some, some of you are laughing like, well, that's... that's it's obvious. That's a no-brainer, right? Only a, only a fool is going to take option one and pick the $1,000 right now. Only a fool would do that. But see, it, the illustration kind of sets us up, right? It sets us up. That That's what we do whenever we grab onto something that's only going to last for a moment and expect that thing to satisfy us and bring us ultimate pleasure and happiness and lasting joy. And so, in the process, we're foregoing something that's far more valuable that we could actually enjoy later for much longer. Remember this treasure principle, my friends, from Jesus' teaching here in Matthew 6. You can't take it with you. Don't store up treasure here... Send it on ahead.